This is a podcast from FT.com. For more information, please visit www.ft.com forward slash podcast. There are two particularly significant facts about labour markets of the high-income countries over the past two to three decades. Globalisation and declining shares of labour income in gross domestic product. How are these two phenomena related? What are the policy implications? The answers to these questions may well determine whether the backlash against globalisation, so visible today in the politics of the US and France, two proud republics more similar to each other than they would wish to admit, becomes overwhelming. The subject is also the focus of a background chapter to the latest World Economic Outlook from the International Monetary Fund. It reaches four chief conclusions. First, the globally engaged labour force has quadrupled over the past two decades, with the greatest impact coming from trade, not immigration. Second, the shares of labour income in GDP have declined markedly across the high-income countries over this period. Third, globalisation is among the causes of the declining share of labour income in GDP, but technology has been more important. Finally, countries that have lowered the cost of labour to business and improved labour market flexibility have generally, and surprisingly, experienced smaller declines in labour income shares. Let us consider these points in turn. First, by simply weighing each country's labour force by the share of exports in total GDP, the authors conclude that the effective global labour supply quadrupled between 1980 and 2005, with half of the increase coming from East Asia. High-income countries can access the increased pool of global labour through imports or immigration. Trade has been much the more important, however, largely because imports have been far less restricted than immigrants. Meanwhile, the share of developing country products in the manufactured imports of high-income countries has doubled since the early 1990s. Much attention has been paid to offshoring, that is, moving parts of the production process abroad. But contrary to popular impressions, offshore imports have in fact been growing more slowly than total trade. Moreover, imports of intermediate manufactured and service inputs accounted for only about 5% of gross output and 10% of total intermediate imports in the high-income countries in 2003. The rise in offshoring in high-income countries has been driven by imports of skilled rather than unskilled inputs. This is partly because high-income countries specialise in the production of skill-intensive products. It is also because they still do most of their trade with one another. Now let us turn to the second point, the decline in income shares of labour. While general, the decline in shares has been much more visible in continental Europe and Japan than in the English-speaking countries. Most of the decline in labour income shares is, it turns out, due to the fall in sectors intensive in the use of unskilled labour. This is the result of a decline in the labour income share inside these sectors and the declining share of these sectors in the overall economy. The income share of labour in skill-intensive sectors has been on the increase, particularly in English-speaking countries, 
where it has risen by five percentage points. Notwithstanding the fall in labour share, real labour compensation has expanded in all high-income countries since the 1980s, with growth accelerating since the mid-1990s. This reflects both employment growth and increases in real compensation per worker, with a stronger weight on employment in the English-speaking countries and on real compensation per worker in Europe. Now consider the third point, the causes of these trends in labour income shares. Globalisation, technological change and labour market policies have all affected labour income shares in recent decades. The first two have lowered labour shares, with technology the more powerful. Meanwhile, changes in labour market policies have had positive effects on labour income shares, largely by increasing employment. The explanation for the milder declines in the labour income shares in English-speaking than in continental European countries is found in the impact of technology and labour market policies, not in the impact of globalisation. But technological change has also lowered the income share of labour less in the English-speaking countries. Meanwhile, changes in labour market policies have had positive effects on the labour income shares in English-speaking countries. This is largely because reductions in tax wedges and unemployment benefits stimulated employment. That is a path that several European countries have recently been following with some success. Cheaper imports have also benefited the entire economy. In all high-income countries, the impact of changes in trade prices on the growth in real labour compensation has been to add a little over 0.2 percentage points a year. It has been largest in Japan, almost 0.4 percentage points, and least in the large European countries, at a little under 0.2 percentage points. Finally, what are the policy conclusions? The impact of globalisation on workers' incomes depends on the size of the pie and their share in it. The evidence of a positive impact on the former is overwhelming. The evidence on the impact of globalisation on the latter, analysed in the WIO, is more complex. It has been a factor, but not the dominant one. Yet the most striking conclusion of this analysis has been the benefits of policies that promote employment. Insisting on high real wages for what, in consequence, become non-existent jobs is counterproductive. While incomes can be sustained through transfers, subsidised idleness is soul-destroying. French voters, please note. The right policy, then, is to promote employment while augmenting the incomes of the low-paid, or at least sharply reducing the taxation of unskilled labour. It is also to promote the highest quality of basic education across the labour force and provide good opportunities for motivated workers to upgrade their skills. The right policy is to combine openness to trade with a politically acceptable sharing of the gains in high-income countries. The challenge is huge, but it is one at which we cannot afford to fail. Thank you for listening to the podcast from FT.com. For further information, please go to www.ft.com slash podcast.